Sometimes something beautiful happens in this world. You don't know how to express yourself, so you just gotta sing. Hey there, Agent Smith. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. <laughs> I like that you cracked up again a little bit. I forgot why I picked it, but then I remembered. <laughs> Why are you Agent Smith? Because, Mr. Brodsky, only a human mind could, ins- or wait, only a good mind could invent something as insipid as love. Ah, nice. Nailed is it. That, is that a line? Uh, he says human mind, I think in the third movie. As as love? Yep. Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, that that is one of the reasons that the third movie sucked, right? Uh, you know, Agent <laughs> Smith like ne- that line? never quite got people, you know? That's true. But yeah, of all the things that make people confusing, love isn't really one of them. No. <laughs> but maybe maybe if it has a robot, I don't know. I think even a robot could figure out the whole love thing. It's like, oh, yes, bonding in order to raise children. This makes sense. I mean, Sydney certainly seems to understand it, but Agent Smith right? seems to be programmed along different lines. Sydney was all in. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we doing? Oh, wait, you asked me what we're doing here. Yeah, uh, You can ask me for once. It could be like weird inversion backwards day. What are we doing here, man? What's going on? When what is life? We are here. <laughs> life is all about talking about art. Awesome. And we are here talking about Kelsey Piper and Eliezer's Glowfic called Plane Crash or Project Lawful uh, in this podcast that we call It Makes Sense If You Understand Decision Theory. Boom. Nicely done. And this is the part where you would say, but now I say we have a Patreon which you're allowed to support us on. Although that's probably not relevant right now. We, if we did make any money on that, I don't know if we did. Um, we do throw back 15% of what we earned to uh, Kelsey Piper and Elias Rudkowski, So uh, We did, in fact, uh, make a little bit. I was just running the numbers, starting to run the numbers yesterday. I'm going to keep doing that and start getting some money out later this week. Thank you, you badasses. Yeah, you guys rock. Well, uh, shall we get to some of the listener feedbacks that we have gotten? Let's do it. John Doe, and then a string of numbers that starts with 777, so I'm just going to call him John Doe 7, says, I think you called Carissa's big female victimization-flavored heresy in the episode. You aren't supposed to feel bad that people who aren't you are having bad things happening to them, especially if they aren't in Cheliacs, where maybe it might serve as Modeus to make them stronger instead. More evidence that she is a good person, if not a capital G good person. I love it. I think he nailed it. And uh, it's funny that that never occurred to me in my time like thinking about what they could possibly be complaining about with that heresy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea that of course you feel bad for people who aren't in you is so natural to me but it it, it would of course be heresy to them and yeah. you know heresy is it, it's still a weird concept of like yes okay it's a true thought but it's bad in a way to have that thought and yeah. uh, not not in the cool kind of bad in the good kind <laughs> of bad right. so no that uh, spot on i appreciate the clarification Max to the Max had an elaboration on that. You want to grab that one? Yeah, he says, yep. Asmodeus doesn't care whether men tyrannize women or women tyrannize men. But if one polity already has a system enforcing one of the two across the whole country, then replacing that with egalitarianism is not Asmodean. And that sounds true, too. I mean, all he cares about is someone getting stepped on and someone doing the step in. So, yeah, might as well be someone with high heels. There's a there's a joke in there somewhere. But it's definitely some kind of sex joke. But this but this chapter didn't prepare me for that kind of sex joke. Did it not? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, as long as we're talking about sex stuff, uh, Keiko had a comment regarding Keltham's cleavage pick, which I said looked kind of goofy to me. Um, He said actually looks kind of hot to him. 
And uh, while I doubt my tastes are representative in the world where they were, it sure would suck for guys to look at this and think goofy, only to be subsequently passed over by potential mates in favor of said goofiness. So, uh, yeah, apparently some people thought that 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 actually was a mighty fine look on on Keltham. And I, you know, as as a pretty darn straight dude, probably am not the best judge of what looks attractive on men or not. So I will just keep my mouth shut. Yeah, everyone's allowed to an opinion. And, you know, as someone who's been passed over by potential mates in favor of goofy people my whole life, I'm not too, uh, you know, <laughs> too burnt out on that. But, you know, as far as I think it's because really what it is, is it's hard for, I think, especially younger men to take like, um, like dashing pictures. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I think it was with like the promo of um, Dungeons and Dragons, but Chris Pratt had like a whole set of like these, these like super hot pictures come out and all kinds of cool outfits and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, imagining, I don't know, 19 year old Daniel Radcliffe doing that just looks ridiculous in my head. Yeah. Um, but there's something about the salt and pepper that really adds to it. So it's kind of ridiculous that men, often men will actually get more better looking as they get older. And I don't know, it feels like one of those things that is just inherently unfair about evolution on both sides of the of the sex coin on that particular one but i don't know i guess it is what it is plug in your evo psych brain though and piss off wes what what does that say uh it says that as men get older they can still father children almost as well as younger men but they have more resources to care for them better and uh therefore people may have evolved to find older men sexier to have more more resources for their kids and have more grandkids in the final outcome that's that's what my my inner uh evolution monkey says too so (laughs) you know it no one's that evolution is fair fuck evolution man it's a bullshit it's a dick we must kill this elder god and replace him with a better one we'll do our best yeah but first we're going to read the content oh man the content (laughs) <laughs> so let, let's let's dive into some of the light light stuff first uh i think you and i are both surprised that dathalon doesn't share galarian's custom of kissing dude why the fuck did the keepers get rid of kissing when they put up the veil of time that is the worst idea kissing is awesome you know i i don't know um it says dathalon noticed that you can put your mouth over other people's mouths which is not i mean when you use the word mouth it makes kissing sound way way grosser for somehow like for some reason <laughs> Does it? You're like, hey, let, let's put our mouths together. It just sounds... I don't know. It sounds kind of kinky. I like kinky stuff. Well, all right. Maybe it's just me. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, I figured that, that Galarian wouldn't have invented it because it's intimate and they're evil. But, ah, yes. But uh, I guess, you know, as long as the person you're kissing doesn't want to be kissed, then it's still evil. So maybe they're into it. No, that's a good point. Yeah. But seriously, why would you get rid of kissing? I don't know. It didn't quite say they got rid of it. It just says like that they, uh, it's a, well, it's a four syllable double compound term, meaning symmetrical mouth application. Yeah. It, it's not a thing that they do. Like Kelton was kind of surprised that this is a sexual thing for her. Right. Oh yeah. And, well, and because that, that's, that's where air and food goes in Yash. Uh, right. You know, it, it's only logical, but like, obviously kissing existed before they put up the veil of time because it was just regular earth before I'm assuming. And they had to, I don't know, fix something, get rid of some awful mimetic hazard. And, uh, they decided to get rid of kissing too. And why? I don't know, but it feels weird. Cause that seems like the kind of thing people would have independently rediscovered. You know what I mean? Mm, I, I guess I, I heard, I don't know. They, they, I mean, it linked in the post, it linked to some, something that said it's 
oh, mostly evolved human... out of Asian right. and yeah, Asian and European cultures, and there's many places where it didn't didn't evolve, so maybe it wouldn't have. Oh yeah, especially I, I, not in the fifty to hundred years that they got. I clicked that preview and didn't actually read it. Yeah, now I see what you're talking about, and you know, now that I think about it, that's a good point. You know, for this wouldn't be true in Dothalon, but it is true for a lot of human history. You know, people's breath sucked. Yeah, you know, yeah, they didn't. You know, know about you don't want to put your, your mouth teeth. all up in there. People didn't have toothpaste for most of human history, mm-hmm, so. I imagine that, like, even going down on someone might not be comfortable back before people have known about showers and, you know, cleaning your ass. Yeah. I mean, uh, the joys of soap and running water. What can I say? I I mean, I think that maybe, maybe this is why we go around much more obsessed with sex. Are we more obsessed with sex? Some of us are. I, I think we have much better sex than our ancestors did for a variety of reasons. I And at least one of them has to do with hygiene. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's hard to dispute. Yeah, no yeah. wonder people are always going out having awesome sex parties nowadays. You can actually have fun with sex. Yeah, totally. All right. You say people are always going out to sex parties, like we're all turning down three invitations a week. <laughs> you know, I, I've tried to pencil in another sex party, but it's just I had so many already in there. <laughs> all right. The, the standard romance lattice was actually, I don't know, it was interesting seeing how quickly it scaled. I think it must be a log scale because zero is like shares a culture with you like you guys have some shared history on this continent and 12 is you die together in old age after having many grandkids i'm like holy shit that that went big it it goes from zero to 12 pretty fast like six was i think kissing and seven was having sex and eight was getting married in a span of like two numbers i think uh eight was uh getting was dating Okay, well, I, I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but it went from, you know, we're kissing to we are procreating in two numbers, a gap of two numbers, right? Yeah, but but 11 was long-term to indefinite marriage, yeah. so it, it's almost at the top. Yeah. But yeah, it was, okay. it was. Uh, I, I just liked how, I mean, you know, we, we, we talked last week, like, I wonder what kind of chapter this is going to be, and I don't think we, it, I don't think it delivered on what it was anticipated to deliver on. It uh, did not for me, but you know, yeah, that, that is the thing we will get into. But I also liked how, uh, oh, wait, we didn't get to chapter 58 yet. We got one last note for 57. Oh, uh, he asked if they could switch the security cameras to only asexual observers, which made me personally lol because I don't understand why sexual observers versus asexual observers makes any difference at all. Like, if anything, I would prefer for them to be sexual observers, so maybe they're getting some some utility out of it. There's there's some prudish aspect that I, I completely understand that, you know, if you have to be watched, you'd rather someone not be yanking it in the corner while you're being watched, you know? Like, if that's not your thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, in the corner, yes, that would be super uncomfortable, but someone watching a security monitor from another room, I... I I don't... I don't understand the difference between a sexual or an asexual person watching it. Yeah, it's... It's, uh... I think it's just a, like I said, a somewhat understandable prudish thing, especially coming from Keltham's bizarrely, you know, in some aspects, prudish background. Um, yeah, that's true. They have such a weird mix. They sure do. But yeah, I mean, I I just think it's kind of cute that she just calls out to the empty air like, oh, yeah, can you can we grab some asexual demons to, to <laughs> spy on us instead of <laughs> instead of everyone else? And like he buys that or just I think maybe it's him, you know, trying to shut off his brain for this whole thing that lets him pretend to buy that for the duration. But mm, I I think he still doesn't know exactly how they're being surveilled. No, but like security cameras, come on, man. We know it's not that. So like scrying magic, okay, sure. But like you think that they can just go recruit devils to what spy on you and report back because you don't want to be spied upon by someone who's going to get an erection during that? Like 
Yeah. Plus, don't worry, Calvin. No one's getting an erection watching you too. So, oh, do you do? You, is it really like someone getting an erection while what doing something a big deal? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, like I mean, for you personally, would would that be weird? Um, no, I was I was joking at how bad a sex they were having, but um, in gen- like I don't know. Uh, I remember hearing at some point like you know there were you know convicted pedophiles in prison and they would take away like you know perf- magazines that you can buy at the counter that you know had kid and kid clothing in them or something right mm, okay and i was you know when i was younger i wondered well why would they do that it's like well because they sh- shouldn't be enjoying it that way and it's like okay i get where you're coming from but no one's being harmed this way they're already in prison mm. you know presumably these kids are no more fucked up than they would be because they're already child models right yeah. um but you know, there's something, there's some some extra ingredient about people getting off sexually about it that made make people, I think, commonly, if not uh, defensibly squeamish about it. People are weird. People are. Weird. Um, Dan Savage has this thing about the um, foot fetishist shoe, shoe, shoe salesman <laughs> who, if a shoe salesman has a foot fetish and really enjoys helping you try on shoes, like in a kind of perverted way and gets off on it later, but like you never notice it's not creepy or weird. He doesn't like breathe heavy or anything. He's just a perfectly professional shoe salesman. Then that should probably be better than the alternative because you still get a great experience. And like, he actually gets more positive utility out of his job than just getting a paycheck. Why, why is that a big deal? But I guess for some people it is a big deal. And I still don't, I don't, I don't get it. I think, Maybe I'm the weird one. Well, I think I, I'm leaning less, less in like when I think about right and wrong, less, I'm, le- I'm leaning towards less in my life, just like thinking about utils and thinking more about like virtue. And I realize that that's too vague as to be useful in large scale applications, like building gods, but in day-to-day life, you know, but I, I think there might be a difference too, just between men and women. I think if a woman learns that like, you know, half of her male friends, you know, she's first place in their spank bank that it creeps <laughs> her out. Um, and I think that's understandable huh. for, for many women. Cause it's like, th- there's, there's, there's an, Im- there's a higher implicit threat of, of, you know, or there's a higher implicit risk of threat and danger uh, when you're around uh, when you're, when you're a sexual object around men. Whereas like, if you're a guy, it, th- there's not a lot of that danger. And, you know, mm. I can count on like one hand, the amount of times that I've been, you know, flattered in such a way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's different. So I guess I'm not prepared to, I don't know if, if my shoe salesman was getting off on selling me shoes, trying but to, you couldn't tell cause he was being totally professional. Well, I mean, in that case, then like, I can't, I can't imagine anyone have a problem with it. Like I know, but, but, but apparently some people do. I mean, I guess it depends on, I don't know. I can't really think of, we'd have to dig to dig further into it to figure out what's going on there. But, uh, how would I ever find out? Like someone tells me afterwards. Yeah. I don't know. I guess like if, if someone told me like, Oh yeah, you know, like he went off and like, you know, yanked it to your feet later. Like, you know, I guess I'd be like, well, uh, I didn't know I was involved in, you know, anything sexual there that feels borderline personal. Um, but I don't know. Hmm. This also comes from somebody who works from home and is, doesn't get out enough anymore. So I, I don't really know how to react to people. <laughs> You're like, I would like someone to touch my feet. Please come sell me a shoe. I don't remember the last time I bought shoes in real life either. I buy them all online now. Oh, I've always had a problem with that because my feet are slightly oddly shaped. I got to try the shoes on. I think Otherwise. I just, I buy the same brand, but like different kinds. Okay, cool. Um, so you already know a one that fits well. Yeah, pretty much. And if they fit close enough, they're good. I, can't remember, I think I might have had to return one once and then just get like a slightly different size, but... Uh, yeah, you know, the world. Yeah. Uh, 
I liked uh, the title of chapter 58. Keiko's a fucking comedy genius. Chapter 58, pre-flight checklist. Nice. Because <laughs> plane crash, etc. You know, it's all. Oh, I all, didn't even make the connection to plane crash. Oh, my God. It's all airline jokes. And they're about to take off. You know, it's just. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just good. Um, Got to make sure that their uh, seats are in the upright blocked position. Speaking of upright. Yes. I appreciate the setup. So, uh Keltham's thinking, back to bed. It's not going to be easy to have sex on a flat surface, but it's possible. Lots of things are possible <laughs> if you're sufficiently determined about them, sexually speaking. And, you know, I like that can-do attitude. All you need yeah. is proper motivation, and you can get off to a, you know, curvy piece of driftwood, right? But <laughs> Darn straight. I think that was from Rick and Morty. <laughs> it uh, was, yeah. <laughs> but also, are inclined surfaces preferred? Or not Probably flat, for- but like, you know, uh, curved? Uh, I would imagine for various positions, yeah. Yeah, for some, there's, you know, support pillows for, I don't know how, I, I don't think we need to get too explicit, but, or as as the beloved 21st century philosopher might say, uh, Ted Lasso might say, uh, well, we don't need to get into the science of it all, but. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, wedge pillows are extremely useful for certain things. Um, I don't know, like various things that might support you, lift you up in various positions. I, I can totally see it being useful. It's useful, but it's not going to be easy to have sex in a flat surface. Like, I mean, well, it's, it's it's doable, man. People, yeah. pe- people have managed. Right. It's You know what? It's not easy having sex in the back of a 48 Chevy. Right. And yeah. 67 Chevy, whatever the joke is. But yeah. that See, that's actually difficult. Whereas a flat surface where you are not being hemmed in on multiple sides, not so bad. Not Not so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked so there was the best callback ever. I think that's the highlight of the whole reading for me. Uh, mm. Dothalon does enjoy it's difficult because he's got that breakaway shirt that yeah. you know unlike being with chips st- cheap stripper clothing it like you know whips back together. Um, yes, so it actually is pretty cool. But it says uh, Dothalon does enjoy it's difficult seeming impressive tricks. That's like capitalized, like being able to tear off a jacket shirt off yourself and have it come out intact or finger snaps as they're now sometimes known more briefly in a meme spread by the popcorn book series science maniac Verez. yes that was the best that was really cool finger snaps Sci- Sci- yeah science maniac Verez too that's i mean his his mad investor chaos name makes more sense if that is how they name things on dathalon if that's if that's the the legend of of harry james potter evans various of science maniac various then yeah i can totally mm-hmm. dig a um yeah chaos what was it mad chaos investor something mad investor chaos i had it almost yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i uh so they start getting into the sexy stuff and keltham has this line where he says i want to force pleasure out of you and hurt you while i do that and then hurt you again while you pleasure me in turn which that was like that was actually I, I was getting into it. I was like, oh good. We we are getting into the good stuff now because it was I don't know, it was a good encapsulation of a desire that made me feel that sort of desire along with him. And I just I thought that was a a good bit of writing that I wanted to call out for being like, oh nice. I we're getting somewhere cool now. Yeah, it it did a good job, I think, in a couple of sentences extra explaining like where the what the mindset actually is for you know that that sort of um i guess whatever sadomasochistic right uh, i want to force pleasure out of you like mm, damn yeah doesn't sound half bad yeah um it (laughs) there's another line where it says it's now absolutely obvious why dathalon doesn't want sexual pain dealers to know what they are if there's no improbable invulnerable sex pain receivers around to compliment them Mm -hmm. and I don't quite get 
you know, you think this, like we basically have these on earth, they're called painkillers, but it's not exactly, they're not exactly the same thing, but you know, this is us with our stupid monkey brains making these, but you think that the ill-advised goods store would sell a drug that makes non-long-term damaging pain signals into pleasure signals? I mean, I think part of the problem is the non-long-term damaging part, because uh, it was brought up multiple times in the reading that Carissa, being a level six wizard, is uh, immune to a lot of the damage that would actually do damage to a normal human. Uh. Yeah, but I mean, I think he he's trying to push through to like actually hurt her rather than just like, you know, the rest of us would be okay with like light biting or scratching or something, right? But he's like actually trying to hurt her just to see what, what the limits are. And if that's the case, then yeah, okay, I get why, you know, you, Dothalon doesn't want to get into that because having your lip bitten off seems kind of insane. Um, yeah. But uh, I think that he was just trying to push the limits to see, okay, what's, what does magical re- resistance to damage look like? I mean... Maybe. Uh, it, it sounded like he was really liking it, though, and he might be sad if he has to return to Dothalon and is no longer able to, like, exert that kind of force. Hmm. But on the other hand, like, isn't it... It's more about, like, how much pain you can cause people, right? I would assume someone who is uh, less impervious to damage would feel more pain from things that are lesser intensity. Yeah, I think the fun... I, at least if I'm getting it right, the fun is not from how hard you're trying to hurt them, but, like, how close to pain you're bringing them. Yeah. And... You know, it, it's not like he really enjoyed biting as hard as he could. It's like, you know, the fact that it didn't hurt her was what made it fun. Right. You know, it wasn't you, the muscle exertion. It was the reaction from the other person. Yeah, you can grab a mouthful of big league chew if you really want to just bite as hard as you can. But yeah. it's that's not the sexy part. I know there's a whole bunch of, like, shocking tools, implements in the current real world, which cause a fair amount of pain, but don't do long-term damage, as far as I know. I've, you know, never used one myself. I've never used one for sex stuff, but I've got a TENS unit and a transcranial direct current stimulation unit. So, Yeah, but uh, neither of those are intended to hurt. Well, the TENS unit sure hurts a lot when you turn it up, but... Uh, oh, does it? Well, I mean, it can't... A lot is is, is relative, but it, it can be really uncomfortable. Um, okay. It Definitely to the point where if someone was hurting me more than that during sex, I'd tell them to knock it the fuck off. Um, okay. But, but the ones I've seen, like, you you see a little, like, flash of a spark, and there's this large snap sound, and the girl goes, you know, like, actually shrieks a bit. Oh, dang. Yeah, I mean, I've I've uh, played with tasers, but never been shocked. I never had the, uh, uh, I never committed to, to tasing myself with it for fun. Well, um, it, it's not quite a taser. It's just, it's, it's just a little shock, like, bam! Like a cattle prod. <laughs> I, 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 maybe? I, I, I. I think they would object to the term cattle prod in a sex setting. Oh, that's true. But that sounds like, a, like what, a, a, a zap on a stick? I mean, I think that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think like that, that is a cattle prod, but I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, they it was might, fashioned to be a glove, so it's more sexy looking. I see. And also, they might object to it or be super into it, depending on who you're talking to. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, the term itself. You don't want to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting prodded by the cattle prod, right? Well, um, or maybe you do. Don't, want, you don't want to kink shame? I don't know, man. Okay, good point. Yeah. I I should not have opened my mouth. I've already learned about what happens when I judge other people's yums. What happens? That you you get told that actually Goofy is hot. Oh, right. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, so I I like this line too. Uh, Kelvin was thinking these pants don't look bad on her, but they've now become obstacles to capital P progress. Obstacles <laughs> to progress must be removed. Yes, and that's that's some sexy talk right there. Right. Yeah. I, that that's that's a joke i i mean i get it. it's funny and it, it plays to to the humor but i can't tell if he's trying to be funny or trying to be uh sexy but it's uh i mean it was funny I, yeah i think he's trying to do both yeah obstacles to progress must be removed right <laughs> most of the time we yeah. think of that like you know uh some impediment to, to you know 
whatever. some regulation. Yeah, some, some societal yeah. progress being stymied or whatever, right? But it's like, in this case, it's mm-hmm. pants. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, why not both? Oh, and I can't remember. progress I, is his penis. Right. Did I did I make the, uh, the did I gloat last week about uh, Dothalon sharing my aversion to spoilers? Mm, you did not gloat about it, no. Oh, I put it in my notes and I forgot to put it in. Because uh, they talked about spoilers as a special class of things that ruin stuff. Mm-hmm. And like it takes the like it, it diminishes the amount of possible fun you're able to have with something. Mm-hmm. And I just loved that I was on the right side of Dothalon's, you know, galaxy brain take on everything. Because I also mm-hmm. hate spoilers. Yeah. They, they they take away the amount the maximum amount of fun you're able to enjoy for something. Yeah. You know, like the way that I was talking to somebody about it who just couldn't quite get it. And I was like, look, you watch football, man. If you knew the score going in, wouldn't that suck? Or rather, wouldn't that take some wouldn't that suck some of the fun out of it? Mm-hmm. And like, sure, it's still fun to see how they get there. But knowing mm-hmm. that no, knowing the end, you know, just takes away some of the fun. Some of the fun is in not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, there's somebody who did not understand why spoilers suck. Uh, there was somebody who was giving me a hard time about it. They, I, okay. they, they have to understand. Because yeah. They it, to it's so, it's so obvious. Something. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the thing is they, people in general don't seem to dislike them because they keep putting them in trailers and they do that because it brings more people to watch the movies. So like that, that is a failure of our civilization. I think so. And yet I, I have gone and like, I've seen some trailers for movies like where it looks like it's going to be a good scary movie. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's stop the trailer here. We'll just remember to watch this movie. Because yeah. it's going to show us all those jump scares. We can just skip that. And then I've seen other trailers. Where I'm like, I have no idea what kind of movie this is. Yeah, I just saw a trailer for the Three Body Problem, the new Netflix series. Yeah. And I was really surprised how they did not give away anything. Yeah. And it, they're just like, this shit looks cool, right? Yeah. So there's some stuff like that where it's like, you know, it, it's it's. I think that's actually a good good middle line. But there's some where I've watched a movie. I'm like, I don't know if this is supposed to be a thriller or horror or mystery or what. Mm. Um, and so some of the, I think it's hard to, you know, get people to be excited about it if they can't quite tell them what it is yeah but there's totally a way to do tell them what it is without telling them everything about it so yeah um anyway so there was another thing on spoilers here but i got i i just wanted to to be happy that i was on the same side as dathalon there yeah this is one thing they got right which is spoilers yeah i i don't know how much i guess they have to have an insanely repressed society if like kids don't even know what sex is until they start trying to discover it for themselves. I mean, that was basically true up until the dawn of the internet. No, that's the exact opposite of true. There was a period of maybe a few decades where society was so repressed, kids might not have known about it. But first of all, all the kids already knew and talked to each other about it anyway. And before the modern society, kids just ran into their parents having sex. Like, it's not like the walls were very thick. You would at some point, I am sure, hear your parents having sex and probably walk in or see them do it at some point. Hmm. There is no way that kids in the pre-modern society weren't exposed to sex all the time. I wouldn't say all the time, but they probably were aware of it. Um, uh, several times a year. I mean, not probably not like a daily basis. I mean, it depends. In the days before birth control, parents might have been more restrictive about having sex just because they got sick of having six kids, you know? Mm, Why aim for seven? Seems unlikely. Seems seems unlikely, but, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I They... They talk about this like uh, once you're initiated into the first tier spoiler discussion for sex, you get to learn about these standard optimizations that are simple common sense for repairing the defects of sex in a state of nature. And then I was curious what these optimizations were and how they learned them. Like what? Don't eat a huge burrito before sex. Um, (laughs) That's a that's a free optimization for everybody. Uh, No, it turns out it's playing with sex dolls and whatnot. That's what they consider optimization. Mm. Like shrug. I guess that's one way to do it. But that's hardly fun. I mean, yeah. w- wouldn't it be more fun as a teenager just to fool around with somebody who's also into fooling around for you know a dozen hours and get feedback? I certainly think so. I would certainly think so. That the idea of you know here's a fourteen year old, here's this you know 
eighty thousand dollars sex doll. You get twelve. You book twelve hours with it. Go figure out how to pleasure woman. That's not how. That's not. That shouldn't be how it works. I mean, I can see it being. Is this the opposite of of me of uh, sexual? uh, What do you call it? Repression or um, uh, what's the word? No, it it feels like more sexual repression to me because you've replaced sex with a a tactile based video game right right no that's what i'm saying is is so is my is my being annoyed at that is that the opposite of uh um sexual repression like like come on yes. man, just just go f- just you know have fun be a kid be a teenager you know enjoy yourself with somebody else the idea to suck all the fun like that sounds like spoiler right yeah like i i can't i mean i don't know if uh this this is a tortured example but it's the best i can come up with on the fly like playing elden ring is hard you know, to get good enough to beat some of the hard bosses, right? Mm-hmm. And if instead of playing Elden Ring for, you know, 70 hours to get good enough, you, like, spent a dozen hours in, like, a highly trained, you know, here's in general how you beat the hard bosses in Elden Ring, um, and then you go play the game, like, that's 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 not the fun part, right? Uh, yes, I, I will agree. I will, I mean, so, sex is a multiplayer game, uh, and... And that is, you know, one of the great things that's fun about it. But also in multiplayer games, people can get, for example, I have a friend who likes to play uh, Overwatch a lot. And when you first get into Overwatch or most games like that, uh, Left 4 Dead, those sorts of games, if you aren't relatively good, like right at the start, people get really fucking annoyed at you. (laughs) They're like, why are you bringing down our team? You are making us have a worse time by being here. Get the fuck out, you scrub. Uh, And... I can see people being like that about sex too, maybe. And especially someone who has internalized the sort of, I don't want to be bad at something if I'm doing it with someone else because I do not want to bring down their experience. Like I could totally see putting multiple dozens of hours, maybe hundreds of hours into practicing with a non-human device in order to get my skill up to the, you know, just play player one a whole lot, play training stuff until you're good enough to play with other people. Yeah, you play the but, you play the campaign in offline mode first. Yeah, but on the other hand, you know, I do think that would kind of suck with sex, and maybe people shouldn't be so uptight about sucking at things at first. I don't know. I I, I love the analogy. I, I realize I'm yeah, but I I also realize like I'm saying this as a girl who doesn't have to have as much of issues about bad sex, but on. I don't know, just orgasming isn't the only thing you get out of sex, you know? You said you're saying this as a girl. Or as not a girl, sorry. I see. As the opposite of a girl. Uh, Today I learned. (laughs) Unless I have been very cleverly fooling you for all these years. But uh, what I like about that is, so because I I don't play Overwatch, partly because uh, it seems like the the plateau that you have to get to to enjoy it is Mm -hmm. is such a steep climb. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not going to enjoy the first 30 hours of getting my ass whooped. And getting yelled yeah. at. However, yeah. it's a lot of fun opening Left 4 Dead 2 with your friends, playing split screen, and figuring out how this game works. Oh my god, you know? yeah. The very first time. And so that that is more like what I'm talking about with like, you know, find, you know, a, a yeah. another young romantic partner and, and enjoy fucking up together. And then you realize 20 hours in, like, oh my god, I didn't realize you could switch weapons with the D-pad, right? Uh, right? Like, you know, it... Little things like that you get to do together and figure out. Like, that's that's awesome. That's actually the most fun. And I, once again, have to put in a huge plug for sex mentors. My I had a sex mentor, and technically she was younger than me, but she was far more experienced. Uh, I Like, getting together with someone who's more experienced than you, and in most cases that will be older if you aren't an incredibly late bloomer like I was, um, good, because they, like, 
they still have fun teaching you stuff and you can learn so much. And I don't know. It's just, I, I, I think there that this whole stigma around relationships where people are not of the exact same level is kind of bullshit. And there's a lot of fun to be had in teaching other people skills of any sort or being taught skills of any sort. Agreed. That was actually the last parallel I was going to draw with playing online games, which was like back for blood was the left for dead successor that came out a couple years ago. And I loved playing with people who, who it was like, you know, some of their first games, as long as they were open to learning. Yeah. If they had their mic on and they, they listened and they asked questions, I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the best. This is actually more fun than playing with somebody, you know, or playing with a team of experts, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's the dickbags who ran through the game, mic off, and just kept running forward and getting getting killed. They were the ones ruining right. the game for everybody, right? Right. That's like, that's like you know, the kid who just, like, humps your leg. And you're like, <laughs> no, kid, take take some advice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> do this other thing. Slow down. All right, now do this with your dick. Okay, cool. That That's the kind of fun mentorship sex. Yeah, first of all, we're not having fun. And, and B, you can't be having fun either. Like, right. <laughs> if we all just did this correctly, yeah. No. All right. Thank you for indulging me and making it a video game parallel. Works great. So they're thinking about their contraception problems and how there's not going to be any PIV here because of that. And she is thinking if he were slightly less of an alien, she'd say, if you owned me, you'd also separately get to decide if we had children, which again, I don't know, twigged something that just felt very hot in the in the moment to to be that like... I am so completely turned over to you that you even get to decide that kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. It flipped a horror switch for me. She's towing the line because in, you know, if it was that Pharaoh, for example, then yeah, it's up to him whether or not she gets 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 to have kids, right? Right. Oh, cool. I have, see, there was another way I was interpreting it too, that she was basically saying, I'm so into this that I would want to have your children. And if you ordered me to have them, I'd be okay with that. As opposed to... I don't want children, but you're going to force me to have them. I did not even read it in that way. And now that you put it out, that 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 is more horrifying as opposed to the I'm so into that I would do this for you if you were to want it. I think the context more supports your reading, but I'm, I'm you know, all of my my thoughts on this are through the the horror lens kind of right. Yeah, I um, mean, we are in Shelly Axe. So that is probably the more correct reading. Yeah, but, you know, she's having fun. So, yeah. Keltham wonders, what are your schools even teaching people if they're not preparing them for such basic aspects of adult life, uh, meaning sex in this case? They have actual sex education in Dathalon, which uh, a thing also I think we should have in the real world, but we won't because, you know, crazy puritanical society. You, you don't learn jack shit about actually having sex and sex ed, which is why you need to stumble across a much more experienced mentor who's willing to teach you. Um, because otherwise, like, I don't know. I guess she did a lot of self-study um, with books and things as well, but they just don't teach you that in school. And I think that's one of the few rare skills that actually you really could get a lot out of at least getting a few pointers in at school. You know, they don't even have to touch your genitals, just tell you some things about how to do this thing better. I mean, maybe some general pointers, but again, I, I still maintain that one of the like one of the highlights of my adolescence was figuring all that stuff out from scratch. Um, oh, yeah. But, okay. you know, it, but that might just be me. Um, there was no yeah. doubt some, and I'm, my, my memory of everything is super hazy, but there was no doubt tons of anxiety or, you know, um, second guessing or whatever, you know, if only I knew what, you know, whatever, but I think probably that's comfortable with the person I was with. Yeah. And so, you know, just be like, you know, Q and a feedback, you know, that sort of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And getting, getting the, the boring version of it, the same way you get the boring version of like, you know, everything else in school, I think it sucks some of the fun out of it. I, I have a hard time disagreeing with you. I, I think you make a really good point. But on the other hand, like for anything that I'm doing for the first time, some general pointers on how to have a better time, like riding your bike, for example, I think 
just would have made the situation better for me rather than just seeing a bike and being told you can ride on it and trying to do it on my own. Yeah. Gen- general, like just bumper rails on the edges or like, you know, here, here's some guidelines that are going to be true in all cases that you really need to worry about right now anyway. And I, I like the analogy to bumper rails because bowling is legit better. Once people just explain a few things to you on how to do it better. Yeah. And you know, the bumper rails keep you from like sucking so hard that it hurts. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I like Keltham's pride here where he says that maybe most women his age are not, in fact, evaluating him as if he were a sexual product in a marketplace, but he feels on some level that they should be. I I really like that mindset that, you know, I I should be getting graded and judged on this thing because I want to be good at it. And um, I don't know. I agree with him, I guess. That's good. Which feels weird to say. I don't like agreeing with Keltham on many things. You know, he's not half bad. He's not half bad. That's true. Yeah. And also, like, what are they teaching? In the, what are they teaching them in schools in Dothalon? All the stuff I just came here and schooled you guys about today. Literally schooled you guys on, right? True. Yeah. yeah. I've known all that since I was, you know, 11. Come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're, 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 you're the smartest people in your society don't have the, have the basic grasp of this. So they're teaching us how to be smart, Carissa. If we're not mm-hmm. so great at sex, well, whatever. We know, we know decision <laughs> theory. Mm-hmm. And I say that somewhat derisively, but I mean that. Yeah. No, it's true. Let's get into the uh, the the highlight of this reading. The thing we've been looking forward to all these weeks. I have been I have been really looking forward to finally getting to some erotica because I was sold this as an erotica series. I have subtitled this next section of my notes "The Worst Erotica Ever," and I hate to say this, but this is some of the worst erotica I have ever read. That's what the title would suggest. <laughs> Up until this point, like we were trending in a good direction, right? We were building desire. We were like, I was really getting to the dumb sub thing. The like, the he, I want to force pleasure into you and make it hurt. And her like, I will have your children if that's what you ask of me. I was like, oh my God, this is good shit. They are going to fuck so hard. And then like with his dominant hand, Keltham puts two fingers into Carissa. Yes, she's lubricated enough. And begins two-fingered thrusts directed at the frontal vaginal pleasure nexus. When the fuck did this turn into a medical textbook? How is that hot at all? I think it turned into a medical textbook in 1830 when they put in like notes about how to cure uh, hysteria in women. I mean, at least then the women got off. <laughs> that, I mean, that that was the goal, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It, there there were parts of this. This being one of them, you know, like because I do most of my reading around the house on my phone, and I'm often hanging around, hanging hang out with my wife and stuff. And this is the part where, like, if she if if she had looked over my shoulder and read this, I'd have been embarrassed, right? Mm, Having to yeah. explain the context, and then like, there's, there's there's no good answer for why this why this is in here, right? Yeah, and it's like, like I swear the whole book's not this sh- bad, not this weird, okay? <laughs> if she looked over your shoulder and saw that like he grabbed her hips and was pounding up into her pussy, you're like, okay, yeah, you're reading erotica, I get it, right? But, but this, no. and it's like, what the hell is this? Who's this guy? And it's like, I, it, it's it's hard to explain. Um, <laughs> 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 and then we're getting into sex. I'm like, okay, maybe it just started out awkward. Ha ha. Dathalon gets really analytical about everything. They they start fucking, and then he starts thinking about her reactions and goes into sub-hypothesis of number one. I'm like, God fucking damn it, I was <laughs> promised sex. Why is there sub-hypotheses of hypotheses when I'm trying to read my sex? You know, th- I think they're wondering the same thing. Maybe that frustration is intentional. No, I don't think so, because they seem to be enjoying it more than we are. Um, I, are they? I don't know. Uh, 
he he halfway gets off anyway. So I I I guess they in the end they say it's enjoyable, but fucking a, I as the reader am here to read things that are enjoyable. I don't care how much they're enjoying it. I want to enjoy some of this too. And there is no enjoyment for me in reading about subhypothesis of number one when they're supposed to be fucking banging each other out here. Yeah, it was it was a little um, sterile. When I read the line and comes just a little into Carissa's mouth, ooh, that sexy is talk. that is the most disappointing thing I've ever read. That that feels a lot like saying and peed just a little into Carissa's mouth. Yeah, like the, the uh, yes, the essence of an orgasm is the uncontrollable release, right? The 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 wave that you can't not ride because it's taking your whole body along with it, like comes just a little into her mouth i'm like what what is this what well, is happening this in is my the super erotica? secret advanced ninja technique of dothalani sex <sighs> the the no wonder they don't have sex or have babies well so no wonder there's only a billion of them what's funny what was funny to me about this was that i also like that uh <laughs> the reason there's only a billion is because they suck at it um i i liked the how the build-up phrasing uh, mm-hmm. made it sound like he had some super secret technique. And as far as I know, this is just like not being a naive and uncontrolled teenager, right? Well, you- I don't know. He sounds like he has a partial orgasm, which I think is different from things humans do in the real world. Oh, not to toot my horn or something. Isn't that not mm-hmm. something people do? Like, th- this, okay, is, so- this, this is a way to, like, you... God, I hate getting this graphic. Um, no, no, please do. This well, is fascinating you, to me. You crest uh, the, the peak somewhat but you don't go yeah. all the way over the edge right 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 but I, i've never as far as i know anyway i've never had just like a little bit of semen shoot out uh i mean the, the the thing with that then it puts you into a like a somewhat refractory refractory period but not not entirely and so you have to build all the way back up again basically so it, it's a it's an endurance technique i thought this was just like something people discover and may, maybe maybe no, I mean, I, I know what you're saying about like the, the peaks and the valleys and the, the more intense and then pulling back for a little while and, and building up again. But I've I've certainly never had like a partial ejaculation, which if that actually is a thing, I am suddenly I'm interested at any rate. I don't know. I, I'm would it. It's do definitely you feel the same. It's definitely a thing. It's, the, it's like it's like edging, but failing just at the edge for like us for like a, a like just just a little bit. Right. So that it's not ah. like you're, so it's not like it's over. It's just like okay, now I need to catch my breath again. Uh, the fun thing for me is again, I think it was more fun. I feel like I probably discovered this technique on accident. I wish to interview you later to figure out this technique because I've done all that, but without the little mini release that you're talking about. Huh. Well, huh. we'll we'll see. <laughs> we'll put our friendship to the test and see how frank <laughs> see how frank of a conversation we can have about this at some point. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> all right well so anyway that that was i I thought it was funny because i was like is this you know this is the the culmination of all their their techniques that he was like aha surprise number one and i'm like it what you you came a little bit that's not exactly you know (laughs) you're like i do that all the time i mean is this is this not like it it struck me like this is exactly the kind of feedback you'd get from having sex with a toy that was like gauging the the how did he put it vaginal pleasure nexus right right (laughs) um And when you think this seems like how you'd be thinking about it in those terms. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, I suddenly have gotten a lot more out of this podcast and I am very happy that we have done it for this reason alone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, again, they're in the middle of sex. Uh, just, I guess going at it in, in some minor 
some way. But she says, she's thinking like, all right, she needs to figure out how she's going to. And then she lists like a whole bunch of other stuff that she's going to do later. uh, Like teach the girls about what they have to say and various other things. Like all in the middle of sex, which... Okay, I understand sometimes you do get distracted by sex, especially if you have a lot of pressing business stuff, and it generally makes the sex worse because you can't focus on the actual sex, you know? Uh, I have been distracted by things in the middle of sex before, and it's annoying, but you know you know what I don't want in my fucking erotica? Being pulled away from the sex by this stuff. The whole point of erotica is to be erotic and not to be realistic about how you might get distracted during sex about what your boss wants from you tomorrow. I agree. And so that makes me think that the goal of this chapter in particular might not have been like actual erotica. Because I I did kind of relate to, especially I think it was chapter 59 at the top of overthinking things. Great chapter name, right? Um Mm -hmm. So she's she's there, but she can't get into it because she's too busy juggling all of this evil bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that that actually was relatable and was character moment, right? Um, not not like sure. a, not a character growth moment, but a character indicative moment. Like I think she it, she can't have fun because she's too busy being too Slytherin all the time. I think if that was an aspect of the erotica, I could I could see it. I could totally let it get away with that. Like whatever that's fine this is this is not your 4000 word tingler this is like 15000 words you can have those beats in it but but good sir there was no orgasm in the text they was just like they go back at it no what was it he said make me come now and she says oh okay and that was it my notes are like two lines of question marks and exclamation points because what the fuck? How do you not have an orgasm? You don't show the orgasm on screen. What are you doing to me? I am so disappointed. I mean, they, they spent, my rage burns. <laughs> they spent like five fires 000. at the side of my flame <laughs> face. They they spent five thousand words hemming and hawing about that, Inyash. I mean, you know that that makes it all better. Oh yeah. I mean, so if you're if you're frustrated by it, don't worry. They they were frustrated enough about it to. I'm guessing it was five thousand word cut. You know, not cut away, but basically. Where they sit there and you know wax philosophical about good and evil and and good trades and deals and stuff, right? Um, I don't fucking care. I don't want the orgasm scene to be make me come now. Oh, okay. Oh, I know I it want- was awful, but 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 it was funny because like they get into this whole long thing about how like what do you mean you don't want to have an orgasm? Like we don't care. Like that seems unfair. Yada yada yada. And it's oh yeah, it's yeah. the longest thing ever. But you know it might be not great erotica, but it wasn't bad comedy. Uh, right. <laughs> she, there's a beat where she says, uh, because she, what, what she wants here is the performance of perfect submission accompanied by the mental state of coldly contemplated manipulation. And so obviously it's not going to feel like a surrender. It's going to feel like walking a tightrope with a dick in her mouth. Of course, that'd take a bit of getting used to. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, that was great. There were, there were, there were, there were good parts. I just, I was promised erotica. If there's one thing I know about plane crash is that it's Eliezer's one point, m- something million word D fanfic erotica and and i i was so looking forward to some actual erotica and i didn't get it and i am just just so upset this is not erotica this is literally just not erotica at this point you mean like the the asterisks with footnotes about like you know who would need to know about uh levels of pain on people's faces well medical personnel in fact you didn't find that at all sexy <laughs> i i Damn it, Stephen! <laughs> Why is this happening to me? I just wanted a D and D fanfic erotica with some decision theory in it. I, I have to suspect that in the next, you know, two million words, they get more into that stuff, 
and there's probably better better scenes, but uh, I, yeah, th- this I, was again comically bad erotica to the point where I think that wasn't their goal. Uh, anyways, let's 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 continue. Let's let's uh let's push through. Oh, uh, like what Keltham did? Yeah, sex something. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um. So I'm 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 getting off my this is not erotica soapbox because. Because it wasn't, and your point is made, and I think, uh, granted, like, this... It was just such a lead-up to it, you know? And I, I, the thing is, I, and I haven't read Kelsey Piper's other stuff, but I, I have to assume that they're both good writers, and I feel like this must have been intentional. And so, while I agree, I didn't, I didn't have fun reading this, but I feel like it wasn't supposed to be good erotic fiction, right? There's no way that they both just totally flubbed on that, right? I assume... And I mean, I'm not an erotica connoisseur. I've read almost no romance. I've read not that much erotica. My main erotica is Tingler's because I think they are both hilarious and hot as hell. Is and that Chuck I, Tingle? Yes, Chuck Tingle. Nice. I love all of them. Um, if, you've, if you if you aren't familiar with Chuck Tingle, he's most famous for Pounded in the Butt by My Own Butt. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a lot of ridiculous sci-fi crazy stuff. He's famous for like the billionaire jet plane is my boyfriend kind of thing. There's one of Raptors I, or something, right? Space Raptor butt invasion. Yeah, <laughs> I, I liked creamed in the butt by my handsome corn. Like it, it's just literally a giant human sized cob corn cob. And it doesn't explain how he has sex with it. He just like, he's like, yeah, there's this corn I'm talking to. Oh my God, he's really hot. And we're getting really flirty. And then like it says, you know, he runs his hands along his abs. I'm like, the corn has abs. And like I kiss him deeply on the mouth. I'm like, your cord has has a face. And then there's lots of pounding in the ass and like coming everywhere. I'm like, I don't know what I'm visualizing now, but actually it's really hot and I like it. So <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. Your brains can just do these things on their own and it's still great stuff. And and Chuck Tingle knows this. It's it's a work of art and it's just legitimately well written. I I once wrote up a brief blog post about how Chuck Tingle has to be an accomplished author in some other field. But um Th- that sorry I, I when i get to liking something i i sometimes go off too long i think that's important that's great i i i, I legit like corny erotica and um I, I was hoping for anything along the lines of that and i didn't get anything at all so i, I think the digression is totally worth it in that you're, you're not saying like it has to be all romantic and steamy like it can be ridiculous no. and funny but it has yeah. to actually be good and this this didn't accomplish either right yeah i, I feel you i know all right. Well, uh, my next note going forward here is that um, they're talking about negotiations for uh, what you get if you win this particular bet. As one trading- does when, they, when they're in the middle of sex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, trading sex acts. And um, Keltham says, you know, it's like not like I'm going to walk up to you and stick my dick in you while you're in the middle of something important. It's more like you're <laughs> call- <laughs> callable on demand when you're otherwise in a cuddleable state. It's really starting to bother me a little bit how cuddle is used as a euphemism for sex or or sexual availability. I, I think I may be reading it wrong, but like cuddling and sex, yes, they're related. They're they're closely related, but they're not exactly the same thing. And saying in a cuddleable state as a way to say you're fuckable right now for whatever circumstances allow that rubs me the wrong way. I often like cuddling people in times that I would not at all consider good sex having <laughs> rubs you the wrong way <laughs> oh yeah i mean the, the the thing is like a lot of this lends itself to that kind of joking wordplay but they can't really engage in that because of the language barrier right it would have been funny if they're both from earth and being able to to 
make fun of the language in this, but they, they weren't even able to, to do that level of it. So we have to do it for them. Yeah. You say, you say that it does sound like they're just using it as an inter- interchangeable term for sex. Yeah. And I, I never liked it, you know, it, cause cuddle room sounded just, they, they kept talking about like sex room and yeah. cuddling and Which sex are two very, very different, different activities. Thing. You know, yeah. you, you can, you can politely non uh, offensively cuddle in a movie theater, you know, watching yeah. a movie. Right. Yeah. But I, I to, think to, they're definitely if, so if like two people next to you have their arms around each other and are leaning their heads on each other's shoulders or whatever, they're they're cuddling, right? Yeah. If they're having sex next to you on, at the movie theater, it might be a bit unwelcome. A little right? much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they're on the same spectrum, but they're different enough that we have different words for them. And that's for a reason. Yeah, I agree. They're, they're yeah. I mean, a spectrum or not, they're 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 so different. Yeah, that they have completely different vocabularies and uh I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's like I don't and know. connotations and social. Yeah. Going for a walk and winning the Olympic gold medal, you know, gold printer medal are on the same spectrum, right? Yeah. 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 And yet one of them comes with a gold medal and the other does not. Right. <laughs> All right. So um, since we're going back to talking about things that are awesome, uh, there's this quote, which I just pulled out in its entirety because I thought it was so good. I want to put myself in your power and witness what you do with it to strip away every conventional arrangement of how we ought to relate to each other, to stop calculating whether it's been long enough or fair enough or reciprocated closely enough to emerge whatever you choose to make of me. And the difference between us and Abaddon is that I knew what I wanted and came here to do it, chose this and chose you in a purely selfish curiosity about what you'll do with me and where I'll be after that. And if your terms aren't fair, I can walk away if I'd like, but I can also not walk away if I'd like. And there's nothing of Abaddon in a bet we both agree to with our eyes open for our own reasons, even if it gives you everything and me merely the satisfaction of having that to give you. I thought that was like legit poetry, especially maybe like in the context of everything else they were talking about, because she's just putting into words how she wants to be this thing for him. I don't know. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I'm glad you pulled that out because I... Honestly, this was like after their, you know, many thousand word digression into good and evil and deal making and all that. And I remember trying to read this like twice because I remember her talking about Abaddon, but my eyes just glazed over both times. So I I just pushed past it. Um, And so, no, I mean, this is, uh, it's a nice distillation of the end of that conversation, which could have been at the beginning of it. We could have saved ourselves the time, but, um, you know, he's so hung up on, that's not how deals work. That's not how betting works. Blah. Um, mm-hmm. and I get it. It's culture gap. We're supposed to, that's supposed to help us understand Kelton better and whatnot. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it was, um, yeah. She's like, the deal is you get to do whatever you want and I get to see what happens to me afterwards. And if I like it. Yeah. And the deal is like, I'm here doing that on purpose. Yeah. And that's, you know, th- we're, we're consenting adults, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's something awesome about that. Yeah. No, it was, it was, uh, Nicely put that way, yeah. All right, so you know the past several chapters where we have a sides into a tag that is just from Dothalon. Like, it's a picture of the upside-down globe of Earth. The tag is Dothalon, and it says something about, like, Dothalon's backstory, uh, what culture is like on Dothalon, what Dothalani society would make of a certain thing. It's world-building, basically, right? Yeah. Starting, I think, probably last reading a little bit, but really getting into it in earnest in this reading, Dothalon has been taken on a distinct voice of like an actual character or a person and is doing some of Keltham's thinking for him 
where it's like this is this is not just backstory about what things are like in Dothalon. This is somebody talking, and their tag is Dothalon, and Keltham is sharing their thoughts. And I, it feels a lot like Keltham is starting to disassociate into some sort of Dothalon personality or something. And I'm I I feel I have reservations about this. I'm not sure this is a a this is weird, and I feel hesitant to think that uh, it's supposed to be a healthy representation of something. That might be intentional. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I that, think he's cracking. Well, you know, he's he's in an uncomfortable situation and stuff. And in that sense, it's like humanizing, you know, um, sure. That's, for that's for once, he's acting uncomfortable for human reasons, right? Like, I'm not sure I understand what's happening here. It makes me uncomfortable uh, rather than. Oh, my God. Huh? This this is this is um, Asmodeus. This is hell beginning to break him, isn't it? Ooh. This is him starting to fracture into multiple personalities. That's fun. Yeah, we're seeing the first signs of it, and it is subtle, and I like it. That's that's a fun way to look at it. Because like we aren't being told that this is him breaking down; we're just seeing the effects. Yeah, and you know it. That what's interesting is like being uh, having having your understanding of reality broken down and becoming a new person aren't necessarily bad things. In fact, that's the only way to grow, right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you, if you're if it's happening, you never you don't necessarily quite know. Um, if this is good news or bad news when it's starting, right? Am I going to be a better person after this? Or am I just being broken? And also like, it's not like he, it's interesting that he isn't changing or we don't see him changing. We see him splitting into two and maybe he'll have to remerge or something is going to happen later. But uh, being split against yourself like this seems like a distinctly bad thing for him and a good thing for hell. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. I mean, that said, I I don't anticipate that this story is going to end with him going to hell, right? Um, you know, I mean, if, if he doesn't die at least once, then I'd be surprised. But I feel yeah. like he's going to destroy the world and make a deal, you know, so good with the gods that they can't really, you know, they can't refuse or something, right? Uh, yeah. If he goes to hell, I think he'd be going to hell the same way Harry went to Azkaban. Right. That's I like that. That's fun. Yeah. With a mission. Yeah. Well. All right, uh, Carissa says that you will destroy all the pleasure. Well, I- I'm paraphrasing a little bit here because there, there was different words used, but for um, succinctness, Car- Carissa says you will destroy all the pleasure for your partner if you try to make sure they're getting pleasure in this, you know, particular S and M scenario. It like BDSM runs on evil emotions let loose in a context where it is safe to let them loose. I don't think this is actually correct i think she is setting a trap for him here me too that was my that was my reading on this was that she's just doing like the best honeypot right yeah uh, she's like oh no what you're feeling is perfectly natural and you should indulge those feelings it's great actually and really yeah. what she's doing is is uh teaching him to use his anger and yeah. she's like uh, it's totally safe right now to be evil right give in to the dark side yeah yeah, I like that. Make, it, and, you know, it didn't even strike me that that was part of the plan, right? But she's not one to miss an opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. She is a smart cookie. Yeah. Which is another one of those attractive things about her. Yeah, that and all of her, you know, over-evilness. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she does tell him to stop looking out for your interests and discover where they fall when you aren't protecting them. Which sounds like a very post-rat kind of thing. To stop, like having a list of things that you're doing and trying to focus on them and like always being looking for the interests and more like just discover what your actual interests are when you aren't hyper-focused on trying to 
do what you think you should be doing, what you think you figured out. Listen to your intuitions. Yeah, and I like that. There, there's a virtue to that. You know, if you have an important to do list, you know, start start doing stuff on it. But if you're like looking for things to do, how about you just do whatever you want and then see what you found the most valuable use of your time was? Yeah, but I think it goes beyond just that. It goes to the whole you might be wrong about what your interests are. So don't protect them quite so vigorously and instead just try to see what happens when you aren't doing that. Yeah. That'll tell you something about yourself. Yeah, I like that. Okay, uh, then they get into decision theory about threats. I think this is basic knowledge that we've all picked up from reading the sequences and other rationalist stuff, but I'm going to repeat it here because, you know, we're doing an analysis podcast and we shouldn't skip over it. Uh, If you try to make a threat against somebody, the only reason why you do that is if you believed they'd respond to the threat. That intuitively is what the definition of a threat is. I liked that because he he brought that up with like the example of like he was told when he was a kid that if you murder somebody, uh, they're going to send him to the Isle of Last Resort or Last Chance or whatever, which is just Japan. It like, seems like a terrible waste of Japan. I mean, I suppose, you know, it, I'm assuming this is all kind of just built from scratch. And what you have here is a nice isolated island that's, you know, can sustain a population, right? Okay. It's like, it's basically Azkaban minus the evil. And it, it's just like, hey, look, you're too dangerous to keep around. We're going to put you over here. Go forth and be not part of society. You don't think there's like a Tokyo over in, in their Japan? I don't think so. Or the remains of a Tokyo that is empty now because of whatever happened 50 to 100 years ago? I mean, so we got to remember that the whole development of this whole planet, even before the screen, was different because it was all baseline Yudkowskis, right? I I don't know, actually. Like, Wait, you mean you mean they might have like they might have done the screen, then everyone leveled up to Yudkowsky level? Yeah, maybe. I don't ah. I don't know how much of a divergence it is from our world, and I guess we'll never know because of the stupid screen. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I like the idea of just like. You know, rather than send you to like literally Azkaban or throw you into some shitty prison that we all have to pay for and uh, is actually terribly miserable for everybody. George Carlin had a long joke about this. He basically said we should use like the four Midwestern states and hmm. uh, separate them by by type of crime. And then there's like a, you know, one square meter gate that opens, you know, on each gate on each uh, prison uh, state once a year for like 10 seconds um god and i mean it was it was a it was like a 10 minute bit but um so i i kind of pictured it pictured them doing that like this except not funny um Mm -hmm. anyway so the point is like they told him like hey if you kill somebody you're gonna go to you done fucked up land and uh Mm -hmm. it's it's not a threat it's like we're just we're just telling you by the way this what's gonna happen and i thought that was kind of cool because it's you know there's difference between whatever scaring kids straight and Mm -hmm. uh just like letting them know like this is just this is just what happens if you walk yeah. off that cliff, you're going to fall and die. And if you kill somebody, we're going to send you to this prison, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like a fact of nature. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, making making a threat that like no one believes. Uh, you know, this is why the United States doesn't negotiate with terrorists, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, if we, it, it it's all well, it's the reverse of that. But anyway, I'm belaboring that too long, but only because I haven't talked in a while. So, oh no, that's okay. I, I like that you brought up the exile island because he uses that as the example to say that like. A certain kind of technically defined threat wouldn't be an equilibrium for of ideal agents, and it seemed foolish and dangerous to build a civilization that would stop working if people started behaving more rationally, which I, I believe means that, I think this is just the baseline way that Yudkowsky works, uh, if someone threatens him, he directly goes like, well, fuck you, I'm going to do it now, <laughs> because I will not be ruled by threats, right? I believe that he thinks that is the rational thing to do, that... Um, you must prove that you are not rulable by threats. And one way to do that is that if you're threatened by something, you go do the thing. I have mixed philosophy on that. Um, okay. 
I can't think of a specific example right now, but you know, sometimes it's like, you're not allowed to do this. It's like, well, I wasn't gonna, but now I am. Um, yeah. Yeah. But other times, you know, if, I, if I'm being held up at, at a bank at gunpoint and it's like, yeah, man, I'll give you all the money. I'm, I'm not going to try and fight you. Right. Um, right. Maybe it's not worth the cost in this particular instance. Yeah. So sometimes it's like your threat worked, right. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you can just have all my money. Um, but if people behave rationally and never gave money, even when they know they're going to get shot, then nobody would ever threaten to shoot someone for money because they know they're not going to get the money anyway. Well, it's more like you give me the money or I shoot you and I take it. You know, one's a little more trouble for me, but not so much trouble. I'm not willing to do it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so it, but that said, if it's like open the safe or I'll shoot you, then I can, I can understand some, a Dothalani might die for the sake of society uh, to keep the, you know, to, to not let those incentives work. Right. Yeah. Um. I can't say I would do the same because uh, I like being alive more than I think. Steven, if and anything that goes out publicly, you always say I would absolutely do the same because then people won't try to make you open safes with guns. Yeah. They already know that you would absolutely do the same and die to not open a safe. The thing is, we've talked about this before when uh, like about kidnapping or something. Um, yeah. And it's like, I don't think our listeners are that kind of are those kind of people. And for what it's worth, kid- I don't have a safe with any money in it. So, right, you know, you don't expect it, potential kidnappers to go through hundreds of hours of podcasts to see if you're the kind of person who responds to threats. No. And frankly, okay. I, I am the kind of person who would respond to torture. So <laughs> I, I, and I can't lie about that because you would just, you know, someone sufficiently determined would find out. Um, well, so- Stephen, now that I know you're susceptible to torture, I promise I will torture you next time I see you if you don't give me $10,000. See, now I get to call your bluff, but you know, it, you're right. This does put me in a compromising situation. Then again, who's not susceptible to torture, right? Yeah. I, that was one of the best uh, flashbacks in Worth the Candle, where it's like, ah, the, the bad guy's got you and he's going to torture you. And it's like, well, then I, I give up. I, he, get, he gets what he wants. Wait, what do you mean? Right. It's like, what am I going to keep throwing will saves? He's got me. Like, it's over. Um, you, you don't get to, to decide that I'm going to resist it forever, right? Yeah. I, I, I yeah. think that's a nice fantasy. Maybe that's true for some people in real life. Um, it definitely is. I've read accounts of you know prisoners of war and stuff, right? Uh, I think the general idea is you try to resist as long as you can to give the guys on your side time to rescue you. So the more time they have, the more likely it is that you will not spill the secrets. Yeah, totally. And an action movie or a fantasy book that that works great. Mm-hmm. Um, in real life, I don't think that you know the bad guy or the good guys are only two minutes away, right? Yeah, well, you know, if you can hold out for two months under torture, that's two months for them to plan a rescue. Oh, if they're if I if I'm surviving for two months, they're not sufficiently. They're, they're not putting <laughs> not forth creative. They're, they're not they're not they're not being creative enough with their with their effort. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Well, actually, it's kind of here or there because they're violent, sexy stuff. So torture yeah. in this in this case could be an analogy for uh, not letting someone have orgasm, right? Yeah, and just like that, we're back on track. uh it's interesting that he points out that uh there is no word for punishment in civilization's library because they don't they don't think that sort of thing should ever appear in reality like not just that punishment is kept out of reality but the threat of punishment is something that shouldn't appear in the actual counterfactuals because you know consequences sure makes sense punishments what the fuck just don't give in to torture Well, and punishments are also kind of badness when you think about like, you know, we're, th- we're throwing you in prison, not because we think it'll reform you or because you need to be removed from society, but because you're bad and you need to spend time away from people. Yeah, you need yeah. to go to a timeout. And we think you're going to, you think, we think you're really going to suffer there. Um, yeah. It's, it's not something that I think would survive the screen even here. Well, probably here on earth. Cause you know, whatever. But if, if we had 
you know, if, if, if Earth became Dothalon, I don't think that that form of punishment would survive either. Uh, right. It, the idea of, of you're bad, so we're going to hurt you, not for the good of anyone else or even for yourself, but just because. Uh, yeah. That makes no sense. Right. Yeah. No one wins there. Not even the person, not even, not society. You know, arguably society is like, well, we want, you know, we've got these stupid ape instincts that say someone should suffer if they suffer, if they make someone else suffer. But that's just something we need to outgrow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The, you know, the ultimatum game where someone is given $10 and they get to give <laughs> some number of dollars to a different person and that different person either accepts that and they both walk away with that money or rejects that and neither person gets any money. Yeah. Um, and the classic thing um, that would be quote unquote rational is to accept any amount of money greater than zero. So even if the person keeps $9 and only gives you one, you accept that because then you're $1 richer than you would be if you just rejected it and both of you get nothing. That's the that's the quick textbook example that I'm sure. Yeah, I I'm not like not like I've read the textbooks, but I have I have quibbles with that. But I'll yes, I agree. Move on. <laughs> I they put in here a wonderful solution. I also have quibbles with that because I'm like that's horseshit. Uh, I want to disincentivize that, but also on the other hand, I understand that destroying wealth just for the sake of destroying wealth sucks, and I don't want to do that. What do I do here? Uh, there is an answer of what to do here, which is brilliant and which I am, I wish I had <laughs> heard about this somewhere else. It, it's kind of annoying that, um, that I haven't heard about this until just now. That you got it in the middle uh, of a sex scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alice proposes that Alice gets six unit and Bohob, uh, Alice gets six units, six dollars. I'm, I'm going to say they're using units here. Alice proposes that Alex, Alice gets six units and Bohob gets four units. Bohob should accept this proposal with probability of less than five sixths. And I was like, oh, that is fucking brilliant. Because then you disincentivize the other person from doing this because they, uh, they know there's a chance that they get nothing at all. But it's not like a strict... 100% like I'm threatening you you're threatening me it's more of a like probability like sure you want to you want to take a chance that you get nothing all right we'll, we'll see what happens um but it's not always just a we are destroying wealth simply to be um Rude. simply to be contrary simply to be yeah 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 it's it, it, there's you are helping destroy this wealth by accepting the 5 6 risk that we are both going to get nothing by by proposing something that's suboptimal. It, it puts a proportional pressure on the other person that is proportional to how bad the exchange is relatively, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. And I, I don't know in these uh, scenarios that they've done in real life, if the contestants are allowed to, or the participants are allowed to talk or if they're just allowed they to slide the number across to each other. But um, usually it's Alice and Bob. And that's the funny thing. That's why I liked Alice, L A L I S and Bohob uh, mm -hmm. kind of made me chuckle, but yeah, I mean, the, the because, reason that I turned down a dollar in the situation isn't because, like, yes, if I'm a utility calculating robot, I understand that one is greater than zero, and I should have one over zero. It's like, no, nah, man, I would rather lose a dollar than let you just be a dick, yeah. right? Well, if it, I'm going down, same, you're going down with me. Uh, yeah, it's it's the same reason that you would say, no, I will not open the safe if someone has a gun on you, right? Uh, the gun is not a factor in, <laughs> in this, you know, the, the $10 versus no dollar thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I see. I see what you're saying. Uh, I just like the. Uh, I, I do like the idea though. And if you could, especially if there was a way to communicate that back and be like, "Look, I'm going to roll a die if you don't give me a fair deal. And if the die doesn't come out favorably, then you don't get anything either." Um, yeah. 
that also wouldn't work in the gun situation, but uh, I don't even know if they have right. guns on Dothalon. They probably do. I'm sure they do. It's a metal tube and gunpowder. Yeah, they're not. I was gonna say they're not. They're so uh, in, not sufficiently difficult to make that if the government didn't make all the best ones, and then some some jerk, some rogue sociopath would make one, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, it had to be Bohab because all names in in Dothalon are two syllables. <laughs> that's uh, that's really good. I like that. Yeah. All righty. Um, Oh, so Keltham is thinking about this thing that Carissa is offering him, her her complete subjugation, right? Just, you can do whatever you want with me. And he says, it doesn't feel safe to grab something so precious and scarce, whose scarcity has to be rationed somehow, without knowing why I get it, when not everyone gets it. Because that reason, whatever it is, is the price. Uh, that was a pretty way of of him of us seeing that he acknowledges that the thing she is giving to him is very, a very big deal. It is scarce and, and expensive and precious. And he's still thinking it in terms of price because he's a Datalani, but the fact that he can feel deep inside him, that this is a very valuable thing is really cool. I agree. And there's another beat like that a little later on too. Um, but yeah, it, the, the whole subtext of all that, you know, cause in, in a consenting, you know, we're all we're all fully informed adults here situation that that is kind of like, okay, I get the whatever, the attraction that some people might have to that, but also like the mm, romance of it, right? Yeah, totally. But in a world with actual sex slaves, you know, right, it it takes on the sinister undertone that I know she's not meaning it that way. But the fact is that, you know, Broom's, you know, sibling down the hall didn't get freed when he when they didn't become a oracle of uh, Ottomans, right? Mm-hmm. and uh for them it's not a choice right it, yeah it adds this whole creepy terrible undertone to it that makes it again uh it, it keeps it multi-dimensional right well that's that's why the th- that's part of the reason why what keltham is getting is so precious and scarce because it was given freely by her it's not you know something that he stole because he's the pharaoh and he saw someone oh yeah no totally it's just it, it adds this kind of sinister undertone that down the street it's not it's not uh it's not a consensual agreement, right? I don't think it does. Like when I have sex, I don't think that there's creepy undertones to my sex because somewhere else somebody is having non-consensual sex. Not just somewhere else, though. Like you know, it, it it's you know, distance shouldn't matter in morality. Maybe it's maybe this isn't morality. I this see is what just you're saying. Yeah, it's yeah. It's they're, also they're the fact in that an, it's they're, they're, they're in, in a, a building where there might be rape right now. Right, exactly. And Chris has definitely been you know party to this, right? Mm-hmm. And. uh whether on the receiving or giving end or just, you know, take out the sex part and put in the torture part. Like, uh, it's, it, you know, in, in a, the, the sinister bit is like, you know, usually when I'm hitting somebody and getting off on it, I'm doing it not for their fun too. But the fact that you're enjoying it, you know, this, this is what makes it special. That makes it sound kind of evil, right? I, yeah, I guess I was really into the bedroom and the scene and not thinking of things beyond the walls. So I, I didn't have that, uh, that wider context, but when you put it that way, that there might be people just a room or two away being flayed alive or burned to death or, or raped or something. I'm like, yeah, okay, that, that sucks. That would kill my boner. It's funny. You're able to keep your mind in the room on the conversation when they can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a better person than them. You're more focused. <laughs> Here we go. That, which is a euphemism for better person in my, in my personal belief system. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Cheliax has philosophy about parts of yourself you discover through pain, through obedience, through not having choices. 
I think there's definitely a truth behind that, that you do discover parts of yourself through those sorts of things. And it's kind of cool that they have a whole philosophy about that because it feels like modern pop philosophy doesn't have much of that. And that a lot of suffering happens because it would be easier to live if we had a bit more of a philosophy about bad parts in life can still... God damn it. Now I sound like someone who is advocating being hit in the bat every morning. I'm going to cut this out. No, no. This is actually important. Leave this in because I have a zinger. And um, so the zinger is, it sounds like you're defending the public school system. Um, oh, God. Aha. But the, the actual bit is Paul Bloom, a Yale psychologist, wrote a book about this called The Sweet Spot, about how suffering can occasionally be, not occasionally, but, but the kinds of suffering are, are valuable. Um, yeah. What is it? The, the pleasures of suffering and meaning. I think is the the name of it. Oh, sorry. The pleasures of suffering and the search for meaning. There we go. Again, so you're right. This does sound like being hit with a bat kind of thing, but it's like you don't realize how great it is, you know, being able to use both your arms till you break your collarbone once and have to be in a sling for six weeks, right? Yeah. And then it takes a few more years before it kind of wears, before you just take it as background fact. Like, oh, yeah, I have two arms and this is great, right? I, just, I don't want to be one of those people who are like, suffering is good for you because it makes you appreciate things. I think that's total bullshit but i cannot deny the fact that through suffering through things i have found some deeper parts of me that i'm not sure i would have without that i think i think we can actually have it both ways here like in the current world where like suffering is an inescapable fact of nature uh might as well realize that yes in fact i can take wisdom from this right um and perspective uh while also saying there are other ways to get this wisdom and perspective and once we're able you know if we when we get to the point where we don't have to get it through pain and suffering, then that's way more uh, desirable. And I think there's different levels of suffering. Like the suffering of having a herniated disc is you don't learn anything from that. It's just pain. The suffering of when I was a suicidal teenager, I didn't learn anything from that. That was just pain. And there's, there's suffering that is bad and should be wiped out entirely. And I think Paul Bloom makes, if I understood it correctly, makes a good point that there's, there's a certain level that, that can work for things. Yeah, he's great at but writing. But you got to be careful with it. Yeah, he's great at writing books whose titles can be rife for misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, a previous one is called Against Empathy. Uh, mm. And it wasn't because he didn't think that compassion was important. It's that, you know, uh, a white jury likes a white defendant more than a black defendant, whether they mean to or not, because mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're more empathetic with people like us, right? Yeah. Um, and he's like, that, that's the case that I'm against it in. Um, and the the sweet spot is similar. It's like I'm not saying that like every good thing look for the sil- or every bad thing look for the silver lining. It's like no, some things just suck. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no wisdom to be gained from burying a, you know your kid or something, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's you know again the the mild things of you know like I I had a my first car that I bought when I was like 17 lasted like three months and then the transmission just exploded on it and it was totaled. Uh, I didn't mm. even crash it; it just died. Um, then I went back to being, you know, dependent and, uh, unable to get around town on my own. Right. And, but, but it added way tons of extra, extra perspective. And I totally get that. This is why old people are so reluctant to give up their cars. Right. Ah, okay. And so, uh, you can, there, there are, you know, there are, there are lessons to be drawn from some kinds of suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, what there isn't lessons to be drawn from is, uh, Chris's cold hearted evilness here. Uh, Oh no. But please explain. Keltham in a in his roundabout way says he's developing feelings. And 
Carissa has not encountered that level of being emotionally vulnerable at someone on purpose. Presumably it's on purpose since she was eight and another child told her that her, that their died, that their dad died yesterday as if they expected sympathy for this. She corrected them by saying cheerfully, you look it, you have dead dad face. And then when the kid looked merely confused, like if I were your dad, I would die of how stupid your face looks. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read that the first time too. She sounds just like Gladys. Right. That is a very Gladys-y thing to say, but also she's, and that sounds like something an eight-year-old Hermione would say if she was evil. Yeah. Um, and yet, Hermione's not evil. She's perfect good. So, yes. uh, yeah. Chris is, Chris is, she gave a kid a hard time for having a dead parent. She's, she did. She's bad. She, well, but she also, in the next paragraph, says that she probably spared that kid getting beaten up by uh, other kids that would have, uh, you know, assaulted her physically for for showing sadness that's that's heresy right there she, that's not why she did it <laughs> good point yeah, yeah. Not, I, oh, th- I think that she she thinks she, i think she, i thought about that too but i don't think that's why she was a dick to this kid right she was a dick because she was eight and this is how she's taught to behave right she corrected them by saying cheerfully right mm-hmm. <laughs> so she she could have done it less cheerful if she wanted to protect the kid she could put their arm around him like hey look People are going to, you can't look for sympathy. People are going to give you a hard time. They're going to punch you like this and then punch them. Right. Mm, yeah. uh, and just like, Hey, you know, then as they're down there, like pretending to rub it in their face, be like, look, I'm protecting you from actually getting your ass kicked. Now shut up. Right. Mm-hmm. No, she was, she was just enjoying being mean. Wow. She did make some great jokes about it. She, she at least was funny about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, credit where it's due. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's they're thinking about this because Keltham is developing feelings. Uh, he says that he thought he was aromantic, and Carissa's like, okay, asexual means doesn't do sex, so aromantic doesn't do romance? Is he saying he's falling in love? And yes, that is exactly what he's saying, and it's cute, especially because he said it in a very Keltham-y way, and I kind of have some hearts for Keltham for that. Yeah, I think I found the line right beneath it. Yeah, it was coming up right after this, actually. Um we're talking about Go fighting ahead, endless, endless uh, demons and stuff. He says that he wants to find whatever did this to Carissa and unmake it. Uh, yeah. The thing that would make her, um, you know, make noises that, like you're fine, but, you know, you're actually not. That seems way worse than just being whatever PTSD by fighting at the world wound for six years, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to find whatever did this to Carissa and unmake it. And then he says, he thinks to himself, ha, Kelvin's never felt this way about another person before. It isn't limerence. Kelson doesn't think it. Kelson, Kelton doesn't think it doesn't feel like descriptions in, that he's read of limerence. Uh, limerence is like the whatever psych one one term for infatuation. Um, okay. it, the more he, the more more like he owns equity in Savar, or like, or he doesn't even know. And owning equity in somebody is about the most romantic and sweet thing a Keltham can think about somebody. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if you're a Keltham, that's about the nicest way to think about somebody. Although he's totally wrong, that that is limerence. I think like, it is, and it's yeah. it's also, uh, you know, I guess now to think about it, you can have, you know, they all have equity in him, but they don't like him, right? Right, yeah. So it doesn't have to be a romantic thing, but for him it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, most romance starts out as limerence. That, it's a wonderful part of romance. Some people might say the best part. Yeah. So don't, don't, be, don't be dissing on limerence, Keltham. But, but he's, he's saying, like, he doesn't think it's merely this. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I gotta say that thing where he's like, yeah, fighting endless demons. She says, seeing her friends being eaten in front of her, like, damn, he says like doing, doing that to the point where you have a hard time getting off during sex, even after you leave. All right. That's grim dark. But the thing where you make noises like you're fine, that seems very, very, very much worse. 
first of all, I agree with him. That does sound awful. Second of all, holy shit, six years at the world wound seeing this sort of thing, she said. And third of all, does that not sound a lot like living modern life where a lot of people, maybe everybody is walking around kind of sort of broken? Some people more than others. Obviously, not all of us have PTSD from watching people being eaten in front of us, but we all always make noises like we're fine, even when we're not. That's why it's important to be nice to everybody. Yeah. And I, I, nice, nice is such like a childish sounding word, but the, I mean it like that, you know, everyone's going through stuff. I have a hard time understanding what that Alani society would look like if, if people aren't making noises like they're fine all the time. They don't have like the, uh, the standard, whatever, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How you doing? Right. They're, yeah, they're but honest. Like, and if they're struggling, they go see a therapist and they talk and they talk it through and get through stuff. Right. If they don't ever make noises like they're fine when they aren't fine, then either they're living in a world where everyone is just constantly miserable at each other, which sounds even worse, or they're living in a world that is unimaginably awesome because everyone's happy all the time, which just is hard for me to accept as realistic, even in a world full of Yudkowskis where all coordination problems have been solved forever. I think it might be like, you know, hey, how are you doing today? You know, not so bad. My, you know, my job isn't everything I wanted it to be and my foot hurts. But other than that, things are going pretty good rather than just like saying fine. Yeah, but even that's kind of a lie, right? Well, unless it's true. I, I gave the shorthand of it. But like, you know, some some brief answer of how you're actually doing rather than or, you know, what, what you're currently thinking about maybe of how you're actually doing rather than just like lying and saying good. Hmm. But it, it does sound like it'd be a little more complicated. Of course, it probably takes fewer syllables to say in baseline. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because they got to say it all the time. Right. Whenever we think about like, man, that would just take forever. It's like, no, they, they've optimized the language. So that part doesn't take forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, oh, cool. Uh, another lesson that we are getting here is the, um, if you if you already know the way you're going to update, you're, you might as well just update all the way. Uh, he, the way he says it is, if you can guess what you're going to realize later, you have already realized it now. Uh, I I'm glad that, you know, we are getting another core rationalist lesson in our readings here, but also this is just taught worse than it was taught in the sequences. Like the sequences weren't fiction, but I think they were better at conveying all these things that they're trying to convey through this format. I agree. I I think this one might be intentional though. Like he's, he's, I remember it was like in the context of him, like testing to see if this made sense when he said it to her Um, Mm -hmm. without, so he didn't make any effort to cross the inferential distance or, you know, properly explain it. He just threw the sentence at her and see it to check if it landed. Um, whereas like the other stuff, you know, he did teach it more ad nauseum, right? Well, I mean, so it's worse in the way that it doesn't teach it as effectively. That is correct. But it's also worse in the way that it's less compelling. When I read it in the sequences, it was a lot more fun and interesting. And I wanted to like read more sequences. Totally. I'm hoping that this is like a, a point that he'll circle back to in a future lecture. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, I think I think what he's doing here is just checking to see, hey, does your language you know have have a word for this? Oh no, okay, I guess not. And he puts that on his on the back burner to throw into a, a lecture at some point. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, he does say that um, he can't talk about all this stuff forever because time is a finite resource, which made me want to throw my keyboard across the room because. <sighs> This is the first acknowledgement we have had that time is a finite resource and that we have been using a lot of time reading this. Yeah, I was I was wondering if that was what caused your keyboard outburst was because you wasted some of our finite time reading this section. Uh, 
where they could have been more, you know, could have been more succinct. Um, this mega fic could have been a sequence post. It certainly seems like it could have been a short, short set of sequence posts so far. Yeah. All right, but skipping, skipping past that, Chris says he has to learn it. Oh, um, learn it being that, um, BDSM relationships aren't terrible. I think probably something like that. Yeah, I don't remember the exact context. It's been a few days. She says he has to learn it from someone who can look him in the eyes and sincerely tell him that some people are meant to be ruled over, that she would know. And that whole that she would know at the end part, like I just imagined her kind of biting her lip and crossing her legs. And I it, it was a hot visual for me to be like, <laughs> I am meant to be ruled over and I would know. Oh, dang. So, yeah, uh, that, that's some good, good writing there. I, I appreciate that a lot. There we go. All right, so Keltham. Keltham says that the that a memory of an amazing blowjob would be a hazardous uh, info hazard because that would uh, that might spoil all lesser blowjobs going forward forever. I think we just have to admit that we have extremely different ideas of what an info hazard is now. Because if a memory of a great blowjob counts as an info hazard, I how is not everything good and fun an info hazard? It certainly seems like then, you, you know, the smart thing to do would either to wipe your memory of all your best experiences or to make sure none of your experiences are too much better than any of your other experiences. Yeah. And that sounds awful. It does. Uh, the, the one way to read this in a way that isn't insane and awful is that, like, I have heard where, you know, people who you, who enjoy porn too much have uh, can have diminished impact. It can have a diminishing impact on their actual sex life because they're they're so used to the super stimulus of porn. Yeah. Um, like, I. So I, I, I could see that being a thing, but not a, not a memory of an actual good time, right? Well, e- even the the porn situation, I wouldn't call that an info hazard. I would call that like a danger of that particular thing, just like maybe the danger of um of alcohol consumption or whatever is that you have too much fun and you start doing it too much. Like an info hazard, if you're starting to use the term info hazard for this level of thing to like pornography, I, I think you have diminished the word's meaning to a point where it's starting to get close to, I don't know, lots of other words that have lost meaning by being extended to everything else in the world. That's a good point. I think uh, I liked in Worth the Candle where Raven says, like, no, that's a cognito, cognito hazard or something. And they, there's like two other categories. Mm-hmm. Um, like at least drawing more sharp lines between the kinds of things. But you're right. If uh, I don't know what category a uh, memory of a good blowjob would fall under, right? <laughs> right. Uh, other than good. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I guess that's fine. He can have whatever definition of that word he wants, but they it's very different from my definition, and therefore I am annoyed that this wrong definition is being popularized. Yeah. No, he actually can't, and he's right. not allowed to have the, whatever definition he wants. We need to agree on what we're talking about. Someone is wrong on the internet, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My last thing that I pulled out of this reading is the, oh yeah that Keltham is working hard on being less distracted during sex. It is widely acknowledged to be a problem of sexuality in Dathalon, <laughs> and yeah, they they're just apparently they're just having bad sex in Dathalon all the time, and I feel sad for all of them. They're repressed. They're having bad sex. No wonder they don't have very many humans if they're not enjoying their sex. That's funny. That's the real. That's the real population control. Is they're all just two in their heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very well maybe. I I think it could be. I think it's. Also, just like, again, abundant birth control and people, you know, not wanting kids. But uh, I like the idea that like, yeah, you know, sex is just as fun because we're all two in our heads all the time. Mm. But uh, 
Yeah, I liked that there was, uh, it was like crossed out. Krista needs to roll with her, you know, fuck times two plus arrow. And then it says Krista tries to, tr- gets four tries at making a DC 20 perception check. Um, but like she had, it was like joking, like she had a stat for, I guess, uh, fucking and eroticism. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of funny. Um, it was. But also it, more game mechanics. And like she gets try four rolls. Um, yeah. And uh, not clear what she did, but she failed all of them, I guess. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think she just tried four times and failed four times at doing a thing. I don't know. Whatever that thing means, right? Yeah, we're getting less and less about the game mechanics and how they integrate into the world, I feel. Yeah, maybe we'll get Hold it on, some one point. second. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes. What's up, sweetie? Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to text my parents and tell them maybe like noon 30. All right. Oh, we can do the, uh, we want to do like the 10 minute, you know, wrap up thing later. No, no, I'm just going to tell my parents that I'm going to be like a half hour late. It's fine. They're late all the time. All right. Um, then we'll rush to this. And I was going to actually, I got to pee again because I've been pounding too much tea and water or coffee this morning, but we'll finish up this reading and then take a 90 second break. But um, what I'd said was, uh, yeah, maybe we'll get more game mechanic stuff down the road. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I pulled out here was uh, Keltham. Keltham is feeling pretty good about his life right now. Later, later on, he can consider exactly what happened when he died in that plane crash. Dot 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 mm. dot. But basically, he's got post nut clarity and relaxation. So, all right, he, he's just like laying back after having sex. He's like, you know, I got it pretty good. And it's like, yeah, yeah. of course you think that, right? <laughs> right. You just got laid. It was right. pretty awesome. Chris is hot and smart and deliciously evil. Right. Exactly. So yeah, that's uh, that's this week's reading. All right, Stephen. I think we have to discuss something. I agree. I mean, we're making it sound like a, a big thing. Someone pointed out to me that I tend to get really excited about things that I like, and I just really enjoy liking things. Even when I don't like something, I find something to like about it because I like liking things so much that I will find a thing to like and and get excited about that. It is very enjoyable for me, but I'm having a harder and harder time. How how many words do you think we have read? I have no idea. 150,000? Yes, more than that. Yeah, not not quite 200,000, I don't think, but more than 150,000. What has happened so far in your estimation? <sighs> it's been two days. If you were to summarize this, Which, yeah. You know, the beginnings of stuff always take forever. That part's, you know, the, the time doesn't so much matter, but you know, he gets there, he's immediately used to everything. World wound, god magic, god arguments, harem, school lessons. Uh, in terms of major plot points and character development, what sorts of things have happened? Plot point, I guess, the god claiming the characters... And yeah, that's definitely a big one. And no character development. Okay. Yeah, we, we've gotten some world building. 150,000 words. Like, science fiction fantasy books used to be, I don't know, 250, 300 pages. Nowadays, for like at least the past decade and a half, they've all been a standard 400 pages-ish, uh, which is 100,000 words. This, at this point, we would have read an entire novel and been into half of the sequel. During a normal novel, you make an entire world with the world building, introduce characters, have a character arc where they grow and change with major plot points where uh, challenges are met and overcome, uh, people die, dark lords are defeated, countries are saved, and we are we would be halfway into the sequel to that. We are still setting up. I, I have spent so much time and energy reading this and nothing has happened and I just, I cannot take it anymore. I have things to do with my life. I legit have actual things that I'm very excited about doing. And every week when I have to dedicate half a dozen hours to this, it, it does not spark joy. It, it is not a thing where I look forward to doing and like, oh yeah, cool. I, I get to do this now. It's like, oh God, I got to take time out of the other stuff I want to do to do this. Yeah. I, I appreciate you putting it 
without pulling your punches like I was. I mean, I will I will say that people enjoy this, so it must get good. Um, I don't yeah. think that this is the correct way to take in this story. Like with Worth the Candle, there's a ton of mystery and and just tons of character stuff right away. But there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff to, to keep you thinking and that you want to talk about every week, right? I feel like that Good was stuff. the best way to enjoy it. I could have binged that and had a great month, but I feel like dragging it out the way we did was actually the optimal experience for it. This, again, at this rate, it'll take us years to get through the rest of this. And I think this I think this is much more of the kind of thing you binge rather than even, you read a bit every week and then talk about for two hours. <laughs> I mean, even if we were binging, reading 150,000 words takes a lot of time. I, I have other words that I could read in that time that have a lot more happening in them. Yeah. And, you like, know, it, maybe this builds to something again, I, just because I have no idea where it goes. I can't, I guess I can say is that what it didn't do is use the first 150,000 words very economically. I think this is a Glowfic thing. And I have to say, I love Glowfic in a certain way. I love the idea of Glowfic. I love the community of Glowfic. When Miranda's character was mentioned, I had all sorts of happy, sparkly feelings because I had some connection to that character from past readings and to that author. I've written about, I think the future of art is going to be hyper-local because once AIs can do everything better than humans, the thing that's really going to matter to you is the connection you make with other people. And so you're going to be appreciating art that people that you know created. When I go to my writer's workshop, I read things from people that I know and that I will see every month and that I interact with and have friendships with. And that makes their writings significantly more important to me, more personal, more enjoyable. Uh, even if they aren't like the top tier best thing written objectively that would win all the awards or whatever, but it means a lot to me. I love that about Glowfic. I love that there's a whole community of people writing together and enjoying each other. And I don't live in the same city as those people. I don't see them regularly. This is not my community. And therefore, what I have is the experience of a reader. And Glowfic is like written by the authors for themselves and for the other people they're writing with, as opposed to being written for the reader. And it turns out that's a big fucking deal. The art of writing has progressed a lot over the centuries, and a large part of that is realizing that you are writing to an audience. You need to entertain the reader. Like One of Kurt Vonnegut's rules of writing is do not waste the reader's time, and I feel like (laughs) that is a much better rule than I had ever realized (laughs) because I, I feel slightly abused by this, not because it is bad at what it wants to do. I think it is extremely good at what it wants to do, just that what it wants to do it, it does not it was never made for a uninterested third party reader. And that's fine. I do lots of things that aren't for an audience, but I started reading this with the expectation that it would be more like a novel that is written for a general reader. And that was I would I don't want to say it was a mistake on my part. It was, as we said at the very beginning, an experiment, a thing we were going to get into together to try out. And I do believe, like you've said, that we have tried it out well and fairly and discovered what we like and don't like. And I don't really want to continue at this point. Yeah, I was going to jump in and say um, uh, mistake is the wrong word, too. I mean, this, again, this was this was to see how it worked out. And, yeah. you know, it was fun. Um, we did science to it. Yeah, it was fun doing the science. I, I to be clear, this isn't because we didn't like this week's reading. We, we talked at the top of the show during our first episode with... Um, Miranda that we said we'd try this for three months and see how see how we liked it. And we've been talking about this a little bit off air for the last couple of weeks, but 
neither of us are finding, are finding this quite compelling to spend this much effort for the next two or three years on. Every week, I kept hoping that I'd get more invested. And uh, every week, I found myself putting off starting the reading longer and longer. Um, mm. You know, I, I don't want to be too hard on it because there's a next to zero, but not zero chance I'll bump into Kelsey Piper or Elias Zudkowski and this will come up at some point. Again, almost okay. zero. And I don't want to say it sucked. Um, yeah. I'll just say that, hey, you know, I don't think that this is meant to be consumed uh, 15, 20,000 words a week uh, and then discussed at length. It's more for sitting down and just, you know, ripping through to find out, you know, I think maybe I'll try this, you know, just read at, no, nah, because I, I, I know what'll happen if I read at my own speed and that's where I'll leave the tab open for three months and not touch it. So yeah. um, it's much more of a conversation people have in a room than it is a reading book experience. Yeah. This, this was a fun exercise slash experiment and seeing what happens. Like if we're trying, if both of us are trying something that neither of us have read, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen this format of podcast work with that, but it was like with the sequel to a book they both had read, specifically thinking of Ward, okay. Wild Bill's uh, sequel to uh, Worm. They knew what they, were, they knew what they were getting, you know. And this is, you know, it's funny the the format of the Glowfic is a lot, reminds me a lot of uh, you know you and I doing a podcast. Yes, right? we're not trying to be as, and we don't take as much time to read or listen to as uh, it takes to read and make notes and do a podcast on of this, right? Yeah. If, yeah. This, if, if this was three times longer, but just as informationally dense, it would be uh, super, super boring. So I mean, I completely admit that when I am doing a podcast with you, it is entirely for me. <laughs> it is I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. And I am always very pleasantly surprised when other people also find value in that. I don't not think of the audience at all, but that is not my primary motivation. I, I am not like one of those podcasters that is like, this is a podcast that we are making because we want to make a product that people will love. It's more about like, I want to have fun conversations with people and I'm going to record them and put them up. Yeah. I've, I've said before that I wanted to just have fun conversations with people. And the only way to get you to do it was to record it. So, um, <laughs> and you know, again, the, the fact that it since it's not geared towards maximizing listenership. It means that the people that do listen to stuff are people that like just hit the exact right niche that enjoy it. And it's like, Oh great. We're going to, we're going to get along great. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if, if we're trying to just maximize listenership at all costs, then you just, you become as, as bland and, uh, trendy as possible. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. No. So all that said, uh, we're not going to keep doing this podcast, but like ask who is doing the audiobook. Keiko Lukayam did all of the work to make this readable, like to make, to make the actual physical experience of reading it, not, not hurt. Um, and <laughs> that was invaluable. That is the thing that most hurts me about stopping doing this. I did not expect there to be so much community buy-in. All these people are spending a lot of time and money and effort like working on this with us and I feel like I'm abandoning them and I don't want to. I was I'm really torn about this. Like I almost want to say like if someone can just come to me and assure me that within two readings or so it's going to get really good and just stuff is going to be happening all the time. Like when a Yone was set on fire or when a Carissa was promoted, that that kind of stuff was like actually interesting. Things happened. And if that just happens all the time and everything's great, then I, I almost want to say I'd, I'd keep going. But I don't believe that will happen. I do not have faith. I think we were told at the, at the onset that like there are exciting bits, but they're kind of sparse and that there is a lot of fluff. Like, you know, I think people said large parts are skimmable and that book doesn't lend itself to slow dissection. Right. Um, yeah. But that said, like you said, the, the community buy-in is what it's the part I, it's the only part I feel really guilty about. And so mm-hmm. it, cause it does feel kind of like tossing them out. They, they're the reason we held, held on as long as we did. 
if, if you're I down, I'm down to just say, if anyone else wants to pick up this show, you know, you'll, we'll give you the first 12 episodes and put them on your own feed and you guys can do the rest. Does that work? Yeah, that absolutely works. Not only that, I'd be willing to have like a post-mortem episode in a couple weeks, maybe two, three weeks, where we, if like Ask Who and Keiko and uh, I don't know who all was in the spoilers channel, because I'm not in the spoilers channel, doing all this coordination, want to be on an episode to just talk about stuff. And uh, maybe if someone does want to take over the podcast, they can be on the episode too. Let us know. Like, we'll do one more special episode. I could take a post-mortem where more. people spoil us and everything. That sounds fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, just tell us all the all the things and what happened on Dothalon, all et cetera, right? Yeah. And uh, like, you know, again, I, I'm also not trying to say that these these are sucky authors. We know for a fact that both these people can write extremely well. They just weren't trying to write a thing that I am in the market to be reading. Yeah, I agree. That that does leave the question of like what you and I are gonna do next. Yeah. And I think that we talked about it briefly a couple weeks ago. Um take a bit of a break at the Definitely. very least. I- I, yeah. I have a couple things on the back burner I'd like to pitch to you at some point, you know, pressure you on the air to respond in real time. But mm-hmm. uh, what I'm prepared to do right now is at some point we should do at least a couple more movie or TV show episodes. Uh, okay. I loved the uh, Truman Show episode, and I, I get the impression that you liked the uh, Love and Thunders. So. I loved it, especially in part, I would not have watched that if I was not told by you to watch it for the episode. And it was amazing. It was so good. Would you say you loved and thundered it? <laughs> I thundered all over that thing, that movie. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll do a couple of those. Um, and then maybe we'll find another, you know, week, weekly recipe thing. This is weird. This, this feels like a, like breaking up with somebody. You know, the fact is too, is I, I feel like, you know, even, even our, our awesome listeners with buy-in and stuff to this, if they knew that we weren't enjoying this, they wouldn't want us to keep doing it anyway. So uh, yeah, I feel like we did a good job putting on a good face, but like seriously for like the last three, four episodes, you and I would start off, you know, before we started recording, like, all right, let's get let's get hyped up so we can talk enthusiastically about this. And then usually by the time it was over, I'd be like, oh, thank God. I always got hyped up at some point in the episode where I was like, okay, awesome. I had a good time recording this episode. Me too. Even knowing we're, yeah. even knowing that we're going to end talking about this. But then I'd be like, oh, no, now I have to read more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no way around it. You know, sorry, it sucks. Um, we'll find something fun to do and so, some sort of follow up on this as well. But no more. It makes sense if you understand decision theory. Maybe the, maybe the follow-up show could be called, like, what was it? We Want Headbands or something? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I mean, call it whatever you want if anyone else wants to pick up the project. But that was the other proposed uh, name, I think, back then. Yeah, uh, I mean, they can pick up this name, too, if they like. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think that's it for this. Um, unless anything else you wanted to add? Um, I love that this exists. It just wasn't for me, you know? Like, I, I don't like certain genres of music. I don't like certain ways of having sex. And there's nothing wrong with them. It just wasn't my uh, my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. I'm certainly not going to say, like, this book objectively sucks. No one should read it. I will say that about plenty of books. You know, like, every classic that make you read in school. The Old Man of the Sea. Um, the one with uh, that, that rich guy um, in the car crash. Oh, Great Gatsby? Yeah, Gatsby. That book sucked. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm prepared to, to go to the mat for that that argument but no this book is great to a lot of people it it's funny it 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 gets so close to tickling a lot of my exciting things i love reading which doesn't uh it isn't quite titillating enough you know if all the things that happened happened in one tenth the word count i would be all in on this right yeah (laughs) but in any case this this does feel bad i i appreciate that everyone listened everyone i feel bad for everyone hearing this we'll find we'll find more stuff to deliver and I really appreciate everyone who listened to that, especially everyone who participated in helping make the show happen. It meant, it means a lot. Yeah. And we are of course also going to be pausing the Patreon for however long it is until we start another project. Might of course. Be, might be several months because I'm shaping up to have a busy summer. 
Shipping up to what? Have a busy summer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, better hurry up. It's middle. Of, it's July fourth. Hey, summer's only been started like two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Uh, I forget. So, for summer for me starts uh, when school ends, right at the end of May. So. Oh okay. In yeah. my brain, I'm still there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> summer break. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sounds great. We'll be back at some point. We'll be on the Discord. I'm going to go dig through all the uh, spoiler chat and see what all well, the fun stuff we didn't learn about was. So Cool. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Steven, thank you for going on this wonderful journey with me, even if it didn't end exactly as you know we would have most liked. Uh, agreed. No, I, thanks for inviting me. This was fun. We'll, uh, we'll, yeah. find, we'll find another place to explore at some point, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Peace uh, out, everybody. See ya.